Okay, we're going to read the Bible now together. Um, we're going to be reading from Psalm 145, and I'm going to be reading the verses 1 to 9. Um, so Psalm 145, verses 1 to 9. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Hey everyone, great to see you all here this morning. My name is Jacob, if we haven't met before. And like Anna said, it's just so good to be together after having a couple of weeks off as well. It's such a nice thing as we get stuck into the year just to be together as a family and as a community. And if you are here for the first time, it's so great having you along, whether you're visiting or whether maybe your news resolution was just to go to church. And if you have, if it was your resolution, congratulations, you've already ticked it off. If that wasn't your resolution, you can do it retrospectively and then everyone's got a tick. So well done, uh, well done being here. And, um, and like Anna said, I'm excited as well to get stuck into this series, which is going to go over the next four weeks on prayer. And I think prayer is a great thing to be looking at in the month of January, partly because it is that time of New Year's resolutions, trying to get like good habits kick-started, getting the gym membership renewed, doing meal prep, reining in the like afterpay spending, all that kind of thing. And prayer, like the habits around, I guess, health or, or, or diets or whatever, prayer takes a bit of work. Uh, and when it's going well, you feel pretty good about it. And when it's not going well, you can feel a bit depressed about it. I reckon prayer is one of those areas of the Christian life where it's really easy just to start feeling a bit bummed out. That we, we know we probably should be doing better. We know we could do better if you're really committed to it. And so it's just a good thing. We're all in the same boat just to spend a bit of a month thinking about that together. But more significantly than the time of year, the reason that we're taking four weeks to look at prayer is because prayer isn't peripheral to the Christian experience. It's not some add-on, some optional extra, but it is core to what it is to be a disciple of Jesus and a lover of God. J.I. Packer, the famous Christian author, said, I believe that prayer is the measure of the person, spiritually, in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. And that can be a bit confronting if you feel like you're not going too well to know that like, to be described as the measure of a person is prayer. But I think prayer is significant. Just as communication isn't an optional extra in, a, like in an interpersonal relationship, it's the substance of it, so too prayer is the substance of it, it's the lived experience of a relationship with God. And so it's hard to think as we start a new year of anything that will really better prepare us for whatever this year has in store than being a church that is deep-rooted in prayer. And we're going to be doing this by looking at four psalms over four weeks. And before we get stuck in today's, let me just give you a bit of an overview about why, we're, why we are doing this series and how it's going to flow. If you're not aware, psalms is a book of the Bible containing 151 psalms, which is just Hebrew for songs. So they're these mostly prayers written poetically, originally to be sung to music. 
And for hundreds and, and, and thousands of years, right back to the time of Jesus and even before, the Psalms have been the bedrock for both personal and corporate devotion and worship for the people of God. And the reason that the Psalms are so helpful is that they cover the whole breadth of human experience, both circumstantially and emotionally. There are prayers in there to be, to be said in times of plenty and of want, prayers that are fitting in times of sickness and in health, in times of enmity and peace, in times of joy, in times of sadness, in times of hope, in times of grief, in times of confidence, in times of doubt. And the Psalms provide these examples of how to speak to God in the midst of this wide range of experience. So they're broad, but they're also deep. The Psalms provide language to pray so that our prayers aren't just inch-deep surface-level prayers, but rather can actually give us words to dig into the depths of our soul's condition, of the richness of the multifaceted character of God, and to enable us in our prayer to capture both the intimacy and also the reverence that is fitting for the created to speak in speaking to their creator who loves them. And taken as a whole, the book of Psalms provides an enormous amount of balance. It's a bit of a picture of what a healthy prayer diet would be. Because prayer is something that's just not just one thing. It's a, it's a three-dimensional kind of thing. There's all kinds of ways you could seek to kind of categorize prayers, but I think really broadly speaking, a way that I find helpful to think about it is that really all prayers fit into one of three sort of dimensions. There's the upward dimension, that is prayers that are to God, really about God, reflecting on, on his character. So praise or adoration or worship would be in that category. Then there's an inward dimension, prayers that the substance of which is really the, the stuff that is going on inside of us, what we are feeling, what we are experiencing, uh, processing guilt, processing sadness and grief and doubt and anxiety. And then there's the outward dimension of prayer, praying for the things in our lives and around us, for, the, for our jobs, for our kids, for our finances, for the world around us. And all of these are really important. That's like, a, taken together, it's a, it's a picture of a healthy prayer life. If you lay aside for a moment the fact that like the food pyramid was created by cereal companies to trick everyone into thinking that cornflakes is more of a bedrock to a good diet than like broccoli, if you ignore that, the, the picture is helpful in that, that a healthy diet isn't going to contain just one thing, is it? It's going to capture the whole range of what it is to be healthy. And so too, to have a healthy prayer life, I think you need to be able to hold together these different aspects of prayer into their proper proportion. And our prayer life suffers when it goes out of balance. And my guess would be that it's the first two of these dimensions that we're most likely to leave by the wayside, and it's the third which is likely to be overbalanced in our prayer life. That is, it's possible for our, for our prayers to have just a minimal, if, if, not, if anything at all, aspect of actually praising God or, or giving gratitude to Him or to speak little of things and include little in terms of like confession or lament, these may be areas of prayer that we're less comfortable with or less accustomed to, but to be very happy to ask God for stuff. And, and to not, don't get me wrong, we, we should be asking God for things, but if that is the complete substance of our prayer life, it will suffer and we will suffer because we will find prayer to be something that is repetitive and shallow. And so over these four weeks, we're taking two psalms that deal with each of those two first dimensions. The Godward dimension, so today we're looking at praise, and in week four we're looking at gratitude, how to, how to grow 
as people expressing these things. And then in the middle two weeks, week two and three, we're looking at confession and lament. And our hope would be as we spend our time just looking at some examples of these type of prayers, as we broaden the scope and increase the depth of our prayer life, that we will experience just new levels of delight and satisfaction in our ability to pray and to have a God who listens. So today, when you get stuck into it, we're looking at praise. One thing you'll notice if you've ever just opened the book of Psalms, even just in the middle at random and, and just read through a couple of them, is there is a lot of praise in the book of Psalms. That's not really an observation that's going to get you like a PhD in anything. It's kind of really the, maybe the most obvious thing about the book is that throughout the prayers in the Psalms, time and time again, there is just an immense amount of praise. Many Psalms begin with the heading, as the one we're looking at today does, a, a Psalm of Praise. But even the Psalms that you'd most maybe easily categorize in other categories like intercession, which is asking for stuff, or lament, which is processing grief and the like, even in those Psalms, there is a huge amount of just praise, reflecting on who God is and, and speaking about his goodness and his glory. Let me just show you the first few lines of the Psalm that, that Anna just read to us in Psalm 145, verses 1, 2, and 3. It starts a Psalm of praise of David. And it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. If you start a prayer like that, I don't know if you have the same experience I do, that I actually find that in many times to be quite jarring because it doesn't seem like the way that I normally pray. It seems quite a foreign way to talk to God. My prayers, my prayers don't normally start like this. On the contrary, I often find that my prayers are, are closer to how I treat my Amazon Alexa than, than how, how David prays here. About a year ago, I bought just a few little gadgets on like eBay to kind of make my home a bit smarter, like a thing that plugged into my aircon so I can say aircon on and it just does it, and, and the different lamps, and I can say I want like TV mode, and then some of the lights go off. It feels really good. You can judge me for that because it's kind of, there's all kinds of things you could judge me for about that. I'll, I'll take it on. But it's, it's a very me-centered way to kind of walk around your house, to be able to just bark commands, to save my, my precious fingers, and have a house that serves me. And if you took a transcript of just all of the requests and asking for timers and, and weather and all the different things, you'd say that it is a, it is a one-sided relationship that I have with my AI assistant, which is kind of fair enough, because it would be kind of weird if it was a bit more give and take. But I wonder, if you were to just, I don't know if how this would come about, but if you were to be handed just like, you know, a, a pile of paper with just all of your prayers for the last year just written down, would they be described as being God-centered or you-centered? Because in the prayers of the Bible, in, in Psalms in particular, but also in the prayers of Paul that you find in the New Testament, and even the prayers of Jesus, even Jesus' most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, starts, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name we see that prayer is actually often God-centered. That aspects of prayer like praise and adoration and worship are central to prayer. And so it's worth asking the question, why is this an important aspect of our prayer life? Why should we be habitually and intentionally in our speaking to God, whether that's speaking out loud or in song or writing something down or just talking to Him in the quietness of our own mind, why should we be incorporating words and reflections on how, God, how good God is. Why should, we, why should we have the need to kind of echo who God is back to him? And there's really two answers that I think are, are visible in this psalm that I want to lay out. The first is simply that God deserves it. 
and the second is that we benefit from it. Or in more kind of theological language, it's for God's glory and our joy. So firstly, just the fact that God deserves our praise. You see in verse 3, this refrain that comes up again and again, if we just have it from just before up there, and it comes up again and again in the Psalms, where it says that God is described as being most worthy of praise. I think sometimes we can struggle with the idea of God being a God who wants and requests and, and asks for our praise. And we can see that as being a bit of a, at times, like a narcissistic or even unattractive quality. There's a, a sketch from a Monty Python uh, movie that if you were around a long time ago, you might be familiar with. If not, just bear with me. That really captures this dynamic, this idea that it's kind of weird that God wants praise. And in this sketch, there's a priest that stands up in front of his congregation and he just sits, leads a prayer in this really sarcastic tone. He says, oh God, you are so big. You're so absolutely huge. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. You're just so super. Please don't smite us. And it, and it captures this kind of idea in there, in this kind of re- reluctant, kind of sarcastic prayer of being like, God is this petty being that does have enough power to do some damage, so we've just got to appease his self-centered desire. Is that the dynamic we're trying to achieve with prayer? To appease the most powerful being in the universe who just unfortunately and coincidentally also happens to be the most fragile and insecure, who needs daily affirmations for his own benefit? Is that why David says, I'll praise you every day and extol your name forever and ever? Well, obviously, no, that's not the reason. And the obvious reason that is that it's wrong to personify God in that way because God is nothing like a petty human who wants their flaws ignored and their good characteristics, no matter how feeble, puffed up and enlarged. But rather, God has no flaws. And his good qualities are so good that no words could ever do them justice. If you read through this psalm and you see David praising God, he's not just praising him from in terms of just kind of abstract ideas, but he's drawing out these specific qualities of who God is and what he is like that are worthy of praise. From verse 5, look at what he writes, and just note that the aspects of God's character that you see here. He says, They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I'll meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works, and I'll proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. You see here these things he's pointing to about who God is, that he is majestic, that his works and deeds are are fantastic, that he's got goodness and righteousness and compassion and love. And each aspect of who God is, even taken alone, is worthy of, of just recognition and praise. God is the one being in the universe that is without clarification worthy of praise. There are praiseworthy people for sure. And, you know, at times people are so praiseworthy that even like statues get made of them and the like. But time and time again, things come out, even potentially hundreds of years, say, after a statue of someone is erected, that some skeleton in the closet comes out, some kind of hidden just past comes about. And people are saying, look, do we really want a statue of this person? But God is pure righteousness, pure love. And to praise that and to draw that to mind is to encounter God as he really is. 
Praise isn't to distort reality and to try to make God seem better than he truly is, but it's to draw into our consciousness the ultimate reality. To sit down or stand up or kneel and to speak to God about God and to speak about how God really is. Not as we feel he is, not as we hope that he is or wish that he was, but to encounter God as he is. Because often when we don't feel that God is necessarily particularly good or loving or when, we, when we've got some deep desire that we wish and want God to be on board with, our prayers can reflect that the God in our mind that we're speaking to is a God of our own creation. But God, the creator of all, the origin of life, of beauty and of love and of meaning, deserves to be recognized for who he truly is. And the appropriate response to who God is, is to praise. And to intentionally praise God and, and to enter into that willingly is really the best way to, of making sure that we don't downgrade him to being some divine smart assistant in the sky. So God is deserving of praise and for that we should praise him. But intertwined with that, it's, I think, the second reason that we need to be people who are intentional about our praise towards God, and that's for actually our own personal joy. Because the goal of praise isn't a cold acknowledgement or just a detached recital of facts about God, but it's joy, it's delight, it's celebration. Look again in those verses we just read at, at, the, at the emotion behind what's being said there. In verses 5, 6, and 7, it says, They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. You get this impulse to, to be speaking about God and telling others about him and proclaiming it, just, just bubbling out. You get celebration, which is this this ecstatic, joyful description. You get joyfully singing. What we see here is that praise is intertwined with a deep love of and or enjoyment of or appreciation of God, as it is with really anything. Praise is the natural partner to the enjoyment of something. When you appreciate something truly, it just has a way of bubbling out, doesn't it? When you step outside of your home and you see that there's like a spectacular purple-orange sunset going on, your first impulse is to run back into the house and see who else's home can, that can come out and, and experience this with you. When you find a piece of music or a book or a movie that just moves you, your first impulse is to go and tell someone that they can experience it too. You see this connection between enjoyment and joy and praise in, in, in an applause at the end of a concert or the celebration after the scoring of a goal. Joy results in praise. But more than that, actually, praise makes joy better. Because to not share the sunset with someone and just to kind of keep it to yourself, or to sit in silence while those around you are giving a standing ovation, or to bite your tongue and, and, and keep the good movie that you saw to yourself, that actually diminishes the experience. That the true joy isn't really fully felt and, and experienced until it is shared, until it is till it finds its natural end in praise. And it's the, pr the joy that makes praise meaningful, isn't it? Because even 
the applause and the praise given to a, a dictator by people held at gunpoint is surely not as satisfying as the applause and the praise given to a beloved leader. There is a deep intertwining of joy and praise. The Westminster Catechism, which sums up just a whole bunch of Christian belief, sums up the, the meaning of life for humans by basically saying the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in the end, these two are, are linked. They are one and the same. As the American pastor John Piper would say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So our joy and God's glory is both tied up on whether we can get praise right. And for me, that then raises an obvious question, and maybe it does for you too, which is just to say, well, that's all well and good when I'm feeling joyful. When my love of God just kind of spontaneously erupts out of me in praise, how great, what a, what a good thing to have. But what about when that's not how I feel? What about when I'm not feeling particularly joyful, when praise isn't coming naturally? Which, if we're honest with ourselves, is going to be a decent chunk of the time, I think. Because the human condition is to, to not love as we ought or to delight as we ought. We've got disordered loves. Sometimes we love something too much or too little. Or we love things in the wrong order. Or we don't love something we ought to love. Or we love something we ought not to love. Our affections don't often line up with reality. And I think nothing shows our disordered hearts more clearly than how often it is that we are incapable or just not inclined to value and love and worship and praise the most praiseworthy being both inside and outside of the universe. And when you read psalms like the one that we're looking at today, or when it even comes time to, to sing songs together and the words come up on the screen and you see what these songwriters have written that we're, we're trying to join in on, sometimes you can just say, I'm just not feeling it. And that taps into something that I've felt in myself and I've heard just from more people than I can count over the years, which is the thought that there's something like, look, I'd love to praise God, but I can't praise God if it's not genuine. I want to be authentic, and it doesn't feel right to bring myself to praise if I'm not feeling it. Have you ever thought or heard some reiteration of that idea? That how we feel really is the ultimate, and if we're not feeling in the right place, we can't truly praise. And I think it's interesting because it's a train of thought that happens in our culture, I think, frequently, but it's not a thought that I reckon would, would appear as often in other cultures or in other times. Because it's kind of unique to our cultural moment to feel that feelings are core. That feelings are more important than even commitments. That feelings at times are even more important than reality. That it feels like, in many ways, a crime to go against our feelings. And it's like a crime against the self because we often feel that our feelings are our deepest self. To follow your feelings or to follow your heart in our culture, that's, that is to be true to yourself. But to do something that goes against what you're feeling or desiring, that is to be inauthentic is how we speak about it. But I actually reckon that way of thinking is worth challenging. Because to be clear, feelings are really important and emotions are important. And the Psalms reflect that richly 
They give words to say across a whole spectrum of human experience, like I was mentioning. And if this feels a bit one-sided, come back in two weeks. We'll be looking at lament, which is really about how do you speak to God out of your, even out of the deepest pits of sadness and of grief. A healthy spirituality is to be in touch with what you're feeling and to know how to navigate what you're feeling and bring those feelings towards God. And so we're not talking about suppressing feelings and emotions here because there is a place to experience everything, sadness, anxiety, loneliness, desperation before God. But I would challenge the question, is your most authentic self how you feel at any given moment? Especially seeing as our feelings change and they're fleeting. They come and they go. Could it be that our true authentic self, who we really are, actually is deeper than what we are feeling? Is there a reality about who we are and how we are that is like a boulder that remains stable when the seasons and the weather changes around it. I think what we actually see in the Psalms, and what we will see as we see these different Psalms that, ca- that tap into different ways of thinking and feeling, is that praise can be a constant. And for a Christian, to praise is to be authentic to who you are. Who you are as a created being made by a loving creator who has loved you valued you and adopted you into his family. It's actually our feelings that are often inauthentic, not our praise. And I think this is why intentionally seeking to develop a habit of praising God for who he is is so important. Because our hearts are so often askew. Our affections are shallow. Our joys are brittle. And so we need to train our hearts to respond appropriately to who God is. Not denying our dappled desires, but even bringing them before God under the umbrella of his grace. Sometimes praise is to say, God, I don't love you as I ought, but you are so, so worthy of love. I do not treasure you as I ought, but you are in fact a treasure. I don't feel your love towards me, but I know that you are the epitome of love and you are love embodied in concrete human terms in the way that Jesus died for me. To praise God under this umbrella of grace, knowing that it's not actually the depth of our praise, the depth of our love for him that dictates our ability to connect with him, but it's the depth of his love for us so that we can worship even though we're flawed. But in intentionally praising, what we're actually trying to do is to bring our affections in line with reality. Just like a pianist can, through repetition, train their fingers to, to play Mozart as though it was some natural thing, when, which obviously playing Mozart on piano is the least natural thing for fingers to do. To recognize that our joy in God can be cultivated like a love for, for fine food or wine or coffee. To know that we, through intentionality and effort and practice, can actually redirect and rewire our hearts towards God. So I just want to finish this by just getting practical about what that might mean for us. As you reflect just on what is your daily or or weekly experience and habit, if you are someone who would describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, are you intentionally bringing yourself into a posture of praise, of adoration, of consciously meditating on the character of God? Because just like our culture preferences feelings over facts, sometimes it can also just preference spontaneity over plan, that's something that spontaneous is just better, but, but we need to be intentional. Because it's really only in, in bringing ourselves to praise that we can counteract this insidious self-centeredness that we find within ourselves. 
that our thoughts want to think about us. They want to think about our lives. We need to, to redirect them. And so the first suggestion to grow in this area would just be to actually spend some time praying to God the very words that you find in the book of Psalms. I've been doing this this, this week, all year. It's still kind of early enough I can say all year and, and get away with it for something. And I found it to be helpful to, to pray words that these aren't the words I would come up with. I, I, if I was to write a prayer, it wouldn't, you wouldn't confuse it for a psalm. They're often, it's very different. But just to pray through themes and ideas I'm not used to as a way of even taking myself out of the equation or allowing myself to be shaped by the thoughts of another, the thoughts of God himself. And sometimes that can even, yeah, that can feel less genuine than just kind of praying a stream of thoughts or, or things that just come to mind. But the Psalms actually help correct us. I came across this great quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer this week where he's talking about the habit of praying the Psalms. And he says this, he says, The richness of the word of God ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our heart. It does not depend, therefore, on whether the Psalms express adequately that which we feel at a given moment in our heart. If we are to pray aright, perhaps it is quite necessary that we pray contrary to our own heart. So I want to challenge you this week to take some time, if you can, and whether it's this psalm here, Psalm 145, whether you just Google Psalms of Praise and just pick another one out from somewhere, or whether you just kind of start at the beginning and work your way through, to just to practice praying some prayers and echoing these thoughts in your own mind before God and trying to bring yourself to a place of saying, this is what God is truly like, despite how I am feeling on any given day. And then beyond that, to perhaps even, and this is what I'm going to be doing this week, is to try to hand at crafting your own prayers of praise. Whether that's just in your mind a little bit each day, just trying to draw to mind different aspects of what God is like and what he has done. Or even writing it out, if that's helpful for you to do, to kind of keep those other thoughts from encroaching in your mind. Just to pause, though, and thank God for who he is. Not even what he's done for you, not even the good things in your life that he's given you, just, just who he is. To find songs on Spotify that, that capture this as well that you can be listening to in the car or on the train. And just to seek to stretch yourself this week to incorporate more praise into your prayer life than you had in the week before. An, an achievable little goal. Praise God more week this week than the week before and see if that has an effect on your joy. Because God deserves it. He is glorious. He is good. He is compassionate. And our, our joy is found in recognizing that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you for who you are. We praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your majesty and your compassion and your faithfulness and your trustworthiness, your, your care, your humility as you embodied yourself in a man in the person of Jesus, your sacrificialness as you took yourself to the cross to die in our place, your forgiveness that we experience as we bring ourselves under that cross and recognize it is not from what we have done, it is not from the purity of our own hearts, it is not from anything about us that you love us, but it is because you are love. And we pray that you would shape us to be a people of praise, a joyful people of praise, who, who are genuinely moved by the reality that you are a perfect, majestic, and holy God. And that this would shape us as a church, we would be deep-rooted in who you are and what you have done. 
we wouldn't be blown away and blown around by whatever is going on in any given day and any given week. That you will continue to grow us as a people of prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.